Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. That was Liberty Johnson. I'm so glad for that. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. All I have just to be like him. That's what the old hymn says. That's what we should desire is to be like Jesus. He is our example. We're to follow his example. We're to watch his life, examine his life, and then surrender to him so that he can live his life through me. Uh, We can't be what God wants us to be. We can't be like Jesus unless we allow his Holy Spirit to control us. But when we do, our desire should be to represent him, to reflect him. So we need to follow his example. And as we are looking through the book of Mark, we're looking at the whole idea of following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at what he did as a man. He was the God man, but he was man. And we need to follow his example. How did he respond? What did he do in his life? How did he live his life? And let's follow the example that he set before us. And that's what we've been looking at on Wednesday evenings for for several months now when I am here on Wednesday evening. That's what we're talking about. In in Mark chapter 3, there's an interesting story. Again, Jesus is constantly being challenged by the Pharisees. It's amazing how people set up rules and regulations and they expect you to follow them. And if they don't, you don't follow their rules, if you don't follow their cultural expectations, then they condemn you. And they did that to the Lord Jesus Christ. They wanted him to follow their rules for the Sabbath. They wanted to, them to, him to follow their rules about fasting. They wanted him to follow their rules about, about um how they interacted with sinners. And the fact is, they didn't interact with sinners. They shunned sinners. They condemned sinners. And Jesus went and ate with them. And Jesus tried to reach them with the gospel. And that's what we should be doing. We should follow his examples. But there's more examples in his life. And we're going to look at that. Several, about three or four years ago, had the privilege of going with Charlie Benjamin over to Israel. And we traveled with a group of about 35 people. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, that we, we went, and one of the places that we stopped was the, the city of Capernaum. And in Capernaum, we went to a synagogue. And uh, the, the, in fact, the synagogue, we believe, that we're going to be reading about right here in this passage of Scripture. It's interesting that uh, no farther than about from where we are right here in this auditorium to across Liberty, or across Lake Mead Boulevard, uh, probably to the shopping center, maybe down to Torrey Pines, would be where Peter's house is. Uh, Capernaum uh, was a town uh, uh, that was, uh, that, uh, where, uh, where Jesus had his basic headquarters. It's a wonderful thing uh, to be able to see that and to be able to picture that in your mind. Jesus has been confronted now by the Pharisees about three different things that they disagreed with him on. He's confronted them and they've lost they've lost the debate if you would so now it's the sabbath again and jesus goes to the synagogue the bible says this and he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there with a withered hand so this man for some reason his hand had been injured the idea that it was withered is something that happened to him it wasn't something he was born with it happened to him something injured his hand so that he could not use it and they watched him that is the pharisees were watching him watching him to see what great things he would do no watching him whether he would heal on the sabbath day i mean he had the gall to walk through a cornfield or through a barley field and and pull off barley and eat barley uh, he had the gall to do that on the sabbath which was contrary to their traditions and now he's going into the synagogue wonder what he's going to do on the sabbath there's this guy that's been obviously everybody knows about him he's got a withered hand he must have had him for years and they're watching 
Jesus to see whether or not he would have the gall to go up and heal this guy on the Sabbath. And the Bible says they watched him, that if he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that, that they might accuse him. Not that they might praise, not that they might say, wow, look what Jesus did. Wow, look at what he's doing. Man, he certainly has the power of God in his life. No, they watched him. Be careful that you don't find yourself there. Be careful that you don't find yourself looking for what other Christians do wrong. I'm amazed how easy it is for Christian brothers and sisters to criticize other Christian brothers and sisters. We look for, wow, that can't be, well, that must not be, or that can't be, and I wonder what they're doing wrong. It's, it's very easy to be critical of other Christians. Don't do that. Uh, Bob Jones Sr., who was uh, probably uh, had the most conservative uh, Christian college of his day while he was alive back in the 1950s and 60s, said, listen, he said, uh, conservative, very fundamental, very, very, uh, very, very um, uh, matter of fact about what was right and what was wrong. He said this. He said, we raise our flag, and this is, we say, this is who we are. We're not here to shoot at you, but we want you to know who we are. It's okay. You can be who you are, be what God wants you to be, but you don't need to shoot at everybody else that's around you. And, and it's so important that we not do that. So the Bible says they came in, to see whether or not he would heal on the Sabbath. And he said unto the man, and he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, he, he comes in, he sees this guy with the withered hand, and he says to him, stand forth. That was, come up out of the crowd. It would be like me saying to you, Nathan, Nathan, get up, would you just get up right now? Just get up, get up, and come up here. Okay, that's the point. That's all I need to show. Okay, so, so thank you. So th- that's what he was doing. He was, say- he was saying, yeah, come out of the crowd and you come up here. That's what he did. They're waiting to see if he's going to do anything. Jesus said, okay, I'm going to show you something. And the Bible says, and he said unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. Man, he just asked the question. We'll see why he did that in a minute. But it says, and when, and when he had looked around on them with anger, it's not a sin to be angry or else Jesus is a sinner. He looked around them with anger. There was anger that came up in his heart. because Not because he was mad at them, but because of the sin that was controlling them. He's, the Bible says being grieved for the hardness of, his heart, of their heart. He's angry because their hearts are hardened, and they do not even understand that. He saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Isn't that interesting? This man with the withered hand, he couldn't stretch his hand out. But when Jesus said stretch it out, he stretched it out. And now, boom, just that quick, he's healed. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Father, in the next few minutes, we're just going to look at your example. Father, Lord Jesus, we pr- I pray that you'll help us, help me to communicate and, and see the importance of the things that you did, and might we choose to follow your example and do what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. It's amazing to me today how some Christians will say, and I've heard this for years, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I really don't go to church. I don't really need to go to church. Now, I know I'm talking to uh, people who go to church. <laughs> you're here on Wednesday night. Uh, you're, here, uh, you're here to hear the Word of God and to be fed the Word of God. But it's amazing to me. People, people talk about the church as though the church or the assembly together of believers is not important at all. But I want you to notice several things about the Lord. And the very first thing, if we're following his example, is this, that he, number one, was always in church. He was always in church. Now, the word here is, the, is synagogue. The Bible says, look at these words. Look exactly the way God said it. And he entered again, uh, he entered again 
as though he did that all the time. You know why it says that that way? Because he was all the time entering into the synagogue. When the synagogue was open, he was there. He was there. And there was a man there which had a withered hand. It was his practice to be in the synagogue. The word synagogue is just a word that means the assembly place. And it was the place they assembled. The the word church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, and it means the place of an assembly. During, During COVID, people would say, oh, you know, we're the church. We're the church. Though we're not meeting together, we're the church. No, we weren't. Because the word assembly, the word church means to assemble together. Now, I can say that I'm a member of a church, that we do assemble together at some point, but when when we're not assembling, we're not churching, that's what the word church means. That's what the word synagogue meant. It was a place where the Jews realized before the New Testament, they realized that they needed to be together. We need one another. Uh, Our culture understands the concept of support groups, we, we understand that. In fact, people are all the time told. Psychologists will tell people, you need to get a support group. You need to get together with other people. There are, there are people who go for counseling together in group counseling. Uh, when, it, when you come to a, uh, an Alcoholics Anonymous group, they will tell you, look, you need to understand if you're going to overcome this problem that you have, this addiction you have, you need to get together on a regular basis with other people who are working out these things together. Jesus, the Bible tells us, when he sent out his disciples, he didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out by twos because he knows that we need one another. Jesus would say later on that where two or three are gathered together, and we're going to see this, getting a little ahead of myself, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. We need the church. The church, we need to have an assembly place. And I want you to understand that God knew that. God knows that's true for your children. God knows that's true for your, for your spouse. God knows that's true for you. We need one another. We need the assembly. So, so the question that the first thing I would like to ask, and we're going to look at this. I'm going to give you several reasons, but why why did Jesus establish the church? Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the word church there, again, means assembly. I'm going to build a new institution called the local church, the assembly, uh, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Ever since the New Testament, ever since Pentecost, there have been local churches that have, where people have met together. What is so important about the church? What are the things that we do that's in the church that are, what makes it so important? There are, again, there are people who say, I don't need to go to church at all. So why do we think it's so important? Yes, go ahead. Okay, if there's a place where we can hear the gospel, where we come together and week after week we hear the gospel, why is it important that we hear the gospel every single week? Why is that important? What's that? Okay, so personally, you like to eat every day. I hate it when skinny people talk about how they like to eat every day. How do they get away with that? How do you do that? You eat every day, all the time. I, I, some people, it's like they have a hollow leg, and uh, they're just filling it up. Uh, so we you like to eat every day, and you're comparing that to the church. You, it, you, we need to be fed. We need to be fed. I'm going to move these things. I can't walk in front of this thing with that being there. Somebody was adjusting these things. Anyway, um, we, uh, we need to be fed. Uh, um, we... We need, we need to hear the gospel, but why do we need to hear the gospel over and over again? Yes. Okay, so we can continue to learn. So uh, to continue to learn, um, anybody else? You know what? I think that's so good. When you hear the story over and over, when you hear the same gospel message over and over and over again, it makes it easier to share with others. I know some people, honestly, in this church um, that in the, in the past that have been actually mentally challenged. I mean, they were, they were very slow mentally. 
But week after week, they would hear the same give. We, every, no, it doesn't matter what I preach on. It doesn't matter where we preach. We tell anybody that's going to speak, make sure you give the gospel. You talk about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how he died for us and was buried and he rose from the dead. I, 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 when I, we repeat that over and over again. And it's, ama- it's amazing to me that I know, again, some people who are honestly mentally challenged, whether they had a problem as a child or whatever, uh, they were mentally challenged, but they've heard the gospel so clear that they were able to give the gospel to other people. And that's so, so important. So important. I think it's also important because we live in a day and age where everything, wherever you go, everywhere else, you hear everything else. You hear every, every kind of perversion in the world. And man, we just need to be set straight. Over and over and over again. I need to hear the truth. I need to hear the truth. I need to hear the truth. It's the same truth. Now, when, we, when we're teaching the Word of God, it's important that we teach all of the Word of God, not just tell people how to get saved, but it's important that we hear the gospel message over and over and over to be reminded about how simple it is and to keep us on the right track so that we don't get led astray. Sunday, I'm preaching a message called Bewitched. Bewitched. And uh, I won't give you a whole lot of detail about that, but I, I would encourage you, if you have any friends or loved ones, uh, bring them to Sunday morning's message. They'll really get mad, and uh, it'll be a help for your relationship with them. So uh, we're going to talk about Bewitched. Paul says to the Galatians, uh, I marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel. And then he says, who hath bewitched you? Who hath bewitched you? So one time in the Bible that that word, that, that, that Greek word is used. And so we're going to talk about being bewitched uh, Sunday morning. So, so man, some good answers. Another reason, why do we need, why do we need the church? Somebody said, uh, somebody said, I just yelled out, uh, and I heard it over here, uh, we need fellowship. We need fellowship, and, and that's true. We do need fellowship. We need to have an opportunity to be together and enjoy one another. It's good to be, when you're out in the world every day and people are telling you all sorts of strange things, it's nice to be able to get together with people who believe what you believe and say, I'm not, the only, I'm not the only strange duck in the world. There's other people that believe. You know, when you would, when, if you go on, if you go listen to the news, I mean, it doesn't matter what station that you go to, you would think the entire world is filled with transgenders. That's what, you, if you believe, you would believe that a huge portion of the population is transgender. With, you hear about it every night, almost. You turn on the Fox News, and it's on every day. Every day. You would think that the, there's a huge, huge part of our population that is, that is uh, homosexual and lesbian and the LGBTQ is the thing that's going on. You hear about it every single day. And yet you don't hear about all, that are, all that's going on in the world amongst Christians and the, the, the massive move of what's going on with believers. It's amazing uh, it's amazing what is left out. And what happens is since we're bombarded with everything that is wrong, and we're told that everything that is wrong is right, and, and we're bombarded with fake news, uh, to quote a particular person, uh, that, that, that you, would act, you actually get to a p- position where you start believing, wow, we're really messed up. And I think there's some messed up things because I think the, the wrong people are in charge. Uh, but the, But... The, the fact is, uh, we need to understand, we need fellowship, and we need to get together to encourage one another. And so, um, so, we, so we need that fellowship. Anybody else? Another reason that we need, yes. Oh, we need prayer. We need to pray for one another. We need to encourage one another in prayer. It's wonderful to hear somebody pray for my needs. When, when I'm hurting, when I'm, when I, when I'm, uh, uh, when I'm discouraged and to, to hear a brother or a sister uh, pray for me, that's so, so important. Yes. Okay. We're all part of the body of Christ. Okay. And we need to meditate on the Word of God together. Good. Taylor, thank you. Anybody else? 
I could. I, oh, go ahead. Yep. Wow, that's really that's some really great insight. What he was saying is the Jewish, the whole Jewish community centered around the synagogue, and and that assembly. And so, if if there was going to be a a, a, re, a change, if you were going to get kicked out of the synagogue, you were not just losing your place to worship; you were losing your 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 place of interaction with other people that you were in, in business. Uh, it, was, it was your political support. It was, it was your, your whole life was centered around that. And if you were taken out of that, then you're losing all of that. And, you're, uh, you are, uh, and so the Lord replaces that with a, the assembly, the local church. That's really good. That's great. Yes. Okay, so the, 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 what he was saying is that people were actually giving themselves from the local church to redeem their brothers and sisters, not in the area of, of salvation, but in the area of, of buying them back, and they would lose out in order to help their brothers and sisters. It was a real sense of, there was a real sense of total community where they were helping one another and caring for one another in Christ. Wow, these are really good things. So we need fellowship. Let me give you some more things that I wrote down. We need to be taught. Somebody said that. We need to be taught. Ephesians 4, um, 11 and 12 says, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. An apostle was one sent from God to declare the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They were eyewitnesses to that. Then there were prophets. The prophets were the preachers that God sent. There were the evangelists, the people that went out and told other people about Jesus Christ. And there were pastors and teachers. The idea is these, that, that once people got saved, God gave these teachers who would teach the Bible so they would know. For, for, they, he gave these, these, these preaching men, these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, he gave them so that they could perfect the saints. The word perfect means, or perfecting, means to bring to maturity the saints for the work of the ministry so that the saints could do the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body so the saints could do the, the building up of the body. So all of that works together. We need fellowship. We need a place where we can be taught the Word of God. The early church praised together. We need to praise together. It's a place uh, where the Bible says in the, in the early church, in Acts 2, and 41 and 42, the Bible says, and they that gladly received his word were baptized in the same day. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. And then they, the Bible goes on to say that they sang and praised the Lord together. All of this, all of these things take place in the local church. We, you, we need united prayer, as, uh, as Faith said a little while ago. We need that. We need to have united prayer together because there's, there's power in unity. And then we meet together so that we can keep the ordinances. Uh, we get to watch people who follow the Lord. It's been amazing. Every week this, this year, there have been one or two or more people following the Lord in believer's baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's an ordinance of the church, and it's an identification. It's a way people identify with the church. I'm, I'm I, I got saved, and now I've, I've been baptized. I've become a member of this church. I, 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 I want to associate, I want to identify with this church. 
And so uh, we do that. We partake of the Lord's Supper together. Uh, all of these, these ordinances we, we, we partake of together in the local church. And that's, so he, he was, Jesus was always in church. Jesus said this, when in, in defining the church, he said this, where two or three are gathered together in my, in my name, there am I in the midst. Uh, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. I think that's so important. I, I think it's so important. Sometimes we get the concept of the church as a, as, as a place where, like this building, it's a place where a multitude of people get together. And yet the, Jesus defines the church as a place where two or three are gathered in my name. Where, where that is, we are gathered at that point. Now, that's not, for the local church, there was, God then would ordain these pastors, and, and there would be deacons, there were those, those uh, officers within the church as, as an institution. But God wants us to be together. I think, that, I think that's why it's so wonderful that we have in our church small groups that we have connection classes, that we have prayer groups that meet together because we need that fellowship, we need that encouragement, and we need to understand that some, sometimes, my wife and I have talked about this several times, that, that we, 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 we have been guilty of making the church into something that maybe God never intended it to be, some great organizational uh, a super show every Sunday morning, you know, and and uh, and I love to get together. I love to praise. I love I love what goes on here at, at this church. I love to to sing the praises and worship. But the, here's the deal: if I finish preaching right now, and all we did for the next forty five minutes was just pray together and talk together and encourage one another, we'd still be having church. See, it's not the show, it's the people together encouraging one another. Two or three in the midst, um, there, I, there, there Jesus is in the midst. We are to encourage one another. The local church is a place where we get together to encourage one another. Hebrews says this, let us consider one another. Let's think about one another to provoke, to encourage unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I put this down, that a church is a hospital for hurt souls. We need to encourage one another and we need to understand that there's not a person sitting here this, that, that this week hasn't encouraged, hasn't uh, had some type maybe of discouraging thing. Something's happened. Uh, uh, Pastor Neil took off to Peru and uh, called me. And he said, uh, he said, would you go to my house? He said, I don't know what happened, but the outside, something happened, and my, the, the, where, where the hose comes out of the house, it's just water is gushing out of the house. And the neighbor came over, and he was on a missions trip, right? Uh, he, he, said, uh, the, he said, the neighbor said, called me up and said, there's, he was in Atlanta. They were on their way to Peru. And he, said the, the, uh, he texted me and said, what's going on? Well, uh, he had an old door leaning against a wall. And he had the, the hose, the, um, the faucet coming out of the wall here, and a hose attached to it like all of us do in our homes. And, uh, and there was an old door. There's a, a wall about six foot away. And... Uh, a wind gust must have come up and pushed that door over. It hit that, uh, that faucet and smashed it off, and water started gushing out and, and pouring down the road and just flooding the neighborhood And uh, while he's on his way to Peru to do a missions trip. Uh, you know, so he called me up and he said, what can you do about it? I said, nothing, enjoy the day. Uh, <laughs> The neighbors actually went over and turned it off for, turned off his water, and I went over today to, to see what I could do about it, and I got my welding torch out, and I got, my, I got all my, my, my stuff. Don't laugh at me. I did. 
And then I looked at it and I said, I'm going to call a plumber. And so I'm meeting a plumber tomorrow at 8.30 and, uh, and he's going to fix that. But, uh, but listen, you face obstacles in your life and you're going to need, you need one another. We need, we, we're here to help. And what, what Sal said was so true. That was true of the first century church, but we're here to help and to encourage one another. Uh, again, I said this in your notes. It says a church is a hospital for hurt souls. Would you put that up there? Is that on the screen? Uh, it's a hospital for hurt souls. We're not, we're not a bunch of perfect people who've got it all together. We're here to help one another and to encourage one another. And so Jesus established it. So my first point is this. In following Jesus, he, he was always, he's the, he is God in human flesh. But the institution that was established for the meeting together of God's people, Israel, at that point was the synagogue. And Jesus did not neglect the synagogue. He didn't say, ah, I don't need that. Uh, There's a bunch of hypocrites there. Uh, And uh, I say to people who say, hey, um, church is filled with hypocrites. I say, well, come on and join us. Uh, You know, uh, we could take one more. Just come and be part of us. You know, the the truth of the matter is nobody around here is perfect. But Jesus established the, the, the local church because we need one another. Number two, I want you to see this. The Bible says this. In verse 1, it says, And there was a man there with which had a withered hand. I put number 2 in your notes that he was always looking for someone to serve. Jesus was always looking for someone to serve. You know what I'm always looking for? Someone to serve me. I mean, I'm always looking for someone who wants to tell me how good I am. I'm, I'm always looking for somebody. If I tell people all the time. A guy, somebody came up to me this past week and uh, yeah, you're in this, in this auditorium right now. Said, you keep talking about a crab meat and lobster, and uh, come on, I'm t- I'll take you out to dinner. Well, that guy's going to get a phone call from me this week. I am going to figure out, if, anytime somebody invites me to lobster and they're paying, I'm going. And, uh, but, but look, Jesus went looking to serve. You know what will make church come alive to you? When you come to church looking for someone to serve. When you come looking to minister to somebody else, when you come, now I'm going to tell you this, when you do that, you'll go home and you'll be drained. But it'll be a good drain because you've helped somebody. When I, when I have an opportunity on Sunday morning to lead someone to Christ or on Wednesday night to lead someone to Christ or I have an opportunity to talk to somebody and, and, and they say, hey, I was ministered, thank you for encouraging me, I walk away encouraged. When you're doing something for somebody else, you always get more out of it than they do. Whether it's teaching a lesson, whether it's helping somebody, whether you walk out in the parking lot and the car's got a flat tire and you're helping them fix the tire, when you've walked away from helping somebody, when you've walked away from serving and doing something for somebody else, man, you're going to walk away a lot more content when you, than when you just come to receive. Now, I like to come and be fed the Word of God, but here's what I get. When I get really fed the Word of God, it makes me want to go out and do something in the name of God. And for, for God. He was always looking for someone to serve. The, a man had a withered hand. Jesus, let me say this, came to serve, not to be served. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. In Mark chapter 10, and we'll get there sometime next year uh, as we're going through Mark, but the Bible says this, but Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. This is the problem in Washington, D.C. right now. It doesn't matter if it's Republicans or Democrats. What we have right now is a group of people who want to lord it over. We have a bunch of politicians in our country right now that do not understand the framework of the Constitution. They don't understand that when you get elected to office, you're a servant not a dictator. And, and uh, because it was built on New Testament principles, Jesus said, look, the, in the Gentile world, when, when, when the, why, this is why it's so important that we have a Christian influence. It's so important that you and I do everything we can to influence our government as Christians. Because the Gentile world, the, the world that is lost, wants power so they can hoard it over people. 
And that is not what it's all about. Jesus said, that's what the Gentiles do. They exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. You'll do this for me, you'll do this for me, you'll do this for me. But so, it, but so shall it not be among you. For whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister, that is your servant. And whosoever of you shall be, be chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. If I'm going to be like Jesus, I need to walk into a room and say, what can I do to help? Not, what is this place going to do for me? You've heard me tell about the story of the man that said to me, uh, Preacher, I, I already know what you're going to say. I've been, I've been going to church, and he was, like, he was like in his 70s at the time. And he said, uh, he said, I don't need to be in church more than once a week, and I come specifically so I can give. Well, I'm glad he did, and he was a great help to us, and he was a friend. But the, the point is he missed out on the point. You don't come to church to get. You come to church to give. And he did. He came and gave money, but the, the idea is give your life. People need you. In this church, in this auditorium right now, there are, we need one another. So when I'm finished preaching in four or five minutes, or 10 or 15 or 30 minutes, when I'm finished preaching here, I don't want you to get your hopes up, uh, the, the, uh, the, there will be people who stay here and talk, and then somebody will flip the lights off and on, and uh, finally people will leave. Why? Because we need one another. He was looking for someone to serve. Our service to others is based on the gifts that we've given. You say, well, I, I don't know how to talk. I'm not a gift. I don't have the gift of gab. Listen, there's, there's at least 250 people who serve here in this church who are not involved in the, in the area of preaching or in the area of singing. They just, they use their gifts. They serve others based on the gifts that God's given to them. And every one of us has got gifts that God's used, given to us to use to minister to other people. And, and there are people that that minister in, in, in a multitude of different ways, and we need to do that. He was always looking for someone to serve. If we're going to be like Jesus, we should be looking for someone to serve. Number three, I want you to see this in verse two. It says, and they watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. Number three, third thing about Jesus, and, and you need to understand this, this you will emulate whether or not you do it. He was always being watched. People were always watching him. Now, these were critics that were watching him. You need to understand the truth of the matter is people are always watching you. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. People know if you're a Christian. People know if you're saved. They watch you. They know that your car pulls out of, this, uh, out of your parking lot or your, your driveway Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They know, oh, there they're going. They're going off to church. They're going off to church. My wife and I walk around. We, have, we are in a gated community in, in the northwest part of Las Vegas, and we, we walk around the, the thing. When I'm walking around it, I don't, I have not, I accept, except that I've given the tracks to every home. All, every time we have a big deal, I go around and put gospel tracks on, on their homes and invite people to our, to our events. But I don't, have not gone to every one of them and said, I am your pastor. But they all refer to, hey, pastor, how you doing? How you doing, pastor? How you doing? I, they, and, uh, hey, and, and I'm telling you, if I, did something, some, if I did something wrong, they're watching me. I can remember when I first got saved. When I first got saved, I was talk, always telling my friends and my relatives about the Lord. I, was, I had two Corvairs, Corvairs. I, and, uh, and Corvairs had, like, had these engines in the back. One of them had a good transmission. One of them had a good engine. And I thought, if I could just get the one engine out of the one and the one transmission to switch them, then I'd have at least one good Corvair. Boy, I wish I had both Corvairs right now. Uh, but uh, I, I, the, my, that was my plan. So one day, I'm, I'm out. My brother-in-law, smoking, drinking, cussing guy. My brother, smoking, drinking, cussing guy. My best friend, Billy Johnson, smoking, drinking, cussing guy. Me, the, con the new convert, right? Six months saved, and, and they're all sitting, uh, standing up. I'm underneath the car working with a ratchet, right? And the ratchet slips. 
And I've just been converted for six months, but I'm always talking about Jesus. But the ratchet slips, my hands go up between the transmission and the thing, and I rip the skin off my knuckles. And when that happened, the old Dave Tice came out, and I said things that all three of those guys understood what I was saying. They understood that I was in pain, and they understood the words. And they weren't French, but they weren't good words to be saying. And when, when they came out, uh, when, I went, when, it, what, when it happened, they all, I, I thought they weren't even paying attention. I'm there working, right? And they're, they're there, and all of a sudden, all three heads are looking down through the engine and looking at me, and then said, oh, was that the preacher? Was, was that... You know why? Because when you become a Christian, people watch you. It doesn't matter whether or not you are boldly pronouncing it. They know you're a Christian, and they're watching you. They were watching Jesus all the time, and they're watching you because you're an ambassador of Christ. Whether you want to be watched, people know you are a Christian. They know it, and they, and they expect certain actions out of you. Our church was no more than two and a half years old. We were telling people about Christ. We were out door knocking. Uh, we had a couple that came to our church who was, who was very well connected with some people, show people downtown. Uh, he was a hairdresser and owned a, a, a beauty salon, and him and his wife did hair. Uh, in fact, he used to cut my hair for free. I, I liked him because of that. And so, uh, but they came to our church. They would bring other people that were pretty well off, people, they'd bring them to our church. One day, I got a phone call, and this was the phone call. Hey, we need you to talk to this guy. He just got saved. I said, who is he? he they said, he's Alice Cooper's drummer, and he wants to live for the Lord. And, and, and so we told him, if you really want to know what it means to live a separated, dedicated life, then you need to go see Dave Tice. I said, okay, well, let him come over. So I'm, I meet him in the lobby of our church, which was at that time in a garage uh, building on the other side of town, my Tropicana and Industrial Road. And he comes in. I meet him there. It's, it's late at night. And he walks in. I mean, this guy is like, he's got diamonds all over his hands. He's got, he's, he's, and, he, and he came in, he said, someone told me if I wanted to know what it was like to live a totally committed Christian life that I needed to come and talk to you. So I came to talk to you. And I said, well, let me tell you something. I, so I said, he said, tell me, tell me what I should do. I've got all these Christian entertainment groups that want me to come and they want me to be involved in this and they want me to be involved in that and and so I, I said, listen, if I was you, and you just committed your life to the Lord, and you need to understand, at that point, I'm the pastor of a church, but I'm only 25 years old at the most, 24 probably years old, and I've only been a, I've only been a Christian for about six or eight years. So, I mean, I'm young in this thing. So I said to him, look, if I was you, I would just back off of all of this stuff. I said, the talent you have isn't going to go away. And it can be used at some time in the future. But what you need to do is you need to get close to God. And I said, I wouldn't go down. He was being invited to all these Hollywood things. And these Christian, and Hollywood Christians were inviting him down. I said, I wouldn't do that. I said, I'm just talking. I know that that's going to be the great temptation. But what they're going to use is they're going to use your name. And they're going to use who you are. Uh, and, and, and I don't know if you're ready for that. What I would do is I would back off and just get along with God and get somebody who would disciple you on a one-on-one -on -one basis for the next couple of years so you can grow in Christ. I said, that's what I would do. He said, what about, what about downtown? What about law? I said, I would stay as far away from downtown as I possibly could. You don't need to be in any of those casinos. You don't need to be in any of that stuff. That's part of your old life. You don't need that. He said, well, man, I really appreciate you telling me this. And he said, man, you've been like right up front. I, he said, man, you really are like, like, you're holy, aren't you? And I said, well, no, I, I, but I'm just telling you, I'm telling you this is what I do. So that was his attitude towards me. So he left. I shook hands with him and prayed with him. He left. Well, I didn't see him for about three months. A friend of mine, an evangelist, came into town and he said, hey, he said, 
I would like to see, this was when, when Bally's Hotel was the MGM Grand. It was before they built the new MGM Grand. And he said, I understand, and they used to have in the back of what is now Bally's, in the, it was MGM Grand, they used to have the MGM Lion in a big cage. And you could go into the MGM Grand and you could go back and you could see the lion that's on the, when you watch an MGM movie, I know most of you have never watched a movie because you're Christians, um, but uh, an MGM movie, the, the lion that goes, Roar. well, he was there in, in a cage. And he said, I'd like to go down and see him. I said, well, I'll take you. I'll show you exactly where he is. And so I, I took him down. We went to the back side of the, of the then MGM Grand. We walked in the back door, and there was a big mall back there, and then there was this place where this cage was. And so I, I walk in. And while I, when I walk in, I show, I show my evangelist friend the, the, um, the lion, and we're impressed. And, and then we left, and right across the way, there was an ice cream thing, and then there was, a, there was a, like an arcade. And so I walked over there. We're just, it's just a mall area. We walk over there, and as I'm walking over there, this guy, this drummer, Alice Cooper's drummer, comes walking by, and he stops he looks at me, he said, preacher? And I said, oh, hi. He said, what are you doing here? And I thought, oh, wow. I told him, if I was you, I'd stay out of those places. I, and man, that looked, made me look like the, the biggest hypocrite in the world. I thought, man... Really taught me something. Really hit me. I better be making sure that I'm living up to what I say. What are uh, I can hear it as clear as a bell right now. What are you doing here? And I explained. I said, well, "We came in the back door. We're not out in the casinos. We're out here. We're looking at the MGM Lion. It was perfectly innocent what we were doing." But when I talked to him and I said, "Don't go down there," I was ta- I knew what I was talking about, but I didn't make it clear. And uh, man, I thought, wow. And I hit my evangelist friend. I said, see, you ruined my reputation. It's always somebody else's fault. Can you say amen to that? Anyway, so people, people know you're a Christian, and you need to understand that people are, you are being watched, and, and you need to live that. You're, you're being watched as a Christian. You're being watched uh, by your children. You're being watched uh, by those you minister to. The people that you, that you minister to, they're watching your life. They're following your life. That's what Jesus, that's what's true of Jesus, it's true of you. The world holds believers to a higher standard. And they have the right to do that. They have a right to do that. I'm going to end by telling you this story. There's some more to get into this. But several years ago, there was all these political figures who were having affairs. And they were being... They were being uh, uh, just like today, uh, they were being criticized on on national media, and somebody got word. David Letterman was a was a nighttime host at that time. And somebody got word that David Letterman had had an affair with his secretary, and they called up David Letterman and they or they sent him a note and said, "I want you to know that if you don't pay me so much money." we are going to expose the fact that you have had an affair with your secretaries there at the, uh, in your studio. And this is what David Letterman did the next night. He got on, he said, hey, somebody uh, wrote me this note, and, he, and he, he said it right there on his program. He said, they said that if that, uh, they found out that I had an affair with this particular lady, and, and, uh, and, and they said that if I, didn't, if I didn't pay him so much money that they would, they would expose me. And he said this. He said, does anybody on the planet think that I don't have sex with my secretaries? And he laughed at it and he went on. And you know what? It didn't affect his reputation at all. You know why? Because everybody knows that that's what unsaved, wicked, carnal people do. But people don't expect that of you as a Bible-believing Christian. They expect that you live pure, and they're watching you. 
and they have a right to, according to Jesus, they have a right to look at you and expect that you're not into pornography, that, you're, that you're, you are a faithful husband, that you are a faithful wife, that you do love your children, that you do live a higher standard. The world, the world should expect you. You claim Christ. You should expect yourself to live better. That's not to say you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you don't slip and mess up and confess those things and get them right. I tell people this, and this I want to be on the screen. If a preacher says, don't follow me, I have feet of clay, then follow his advice. Don't follow him. If somebody stands up and says, don't follow me, man, don't follow me, I have feet of clay, then don't follow them. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's not an arrogant statement. We need to live up to the fact and understand people have a right to expect of us as children of God. You, mister, are a son of God. You, a lady, are a daughter of God. We are children of God. We don't expect Jesus to act in certain ways, and if he shouldn't act certain ways, we shouldn't act certain ways. First Peter says this, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Jesus was watched, and so are you. We need to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus is our example. We'll end there. Interesting, isn't it? And when we really understand who we're following, understand this, and we're talking about this on Sunday morning, you can't live the, the, the life of Christ by yourself. That's why you have to daily surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit of God. But when you surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit of God, you can overcome the desires of your flesh. And you can live for the Lord. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you today, this world needs the example of, of Christ in you. Because the world is crazy. The world has been bewitched. We'll talk about that Sunday morning. The world has been led astray, and, and, uh, and they need truth. And they don't need you following them. They need to see someone that they can say, there's an example for me to follow. Let Christ shine through you. Let's pray. Father, help us to take these truths and help us to apply them to our lives. And Father, I ask this in the name of Jesus. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.